Over the past 100 years, we built our economy and live around fossil fuels. Many governments and multinational organizations, such as the EU, pledged to incorporate renewable energy into our economies as the next step forward. Initiatives towards a carbon-free economy do not come out only of environmental responsibility and climate changes. We see that most countries, such as Russia and China, focus on fossil fuels they either have in large reserves or fetch them from elsewhere, like from Africa, something that was partly discussed with Dr. Jake Sotiriadis in the episode Futurism as Disruption. The EU, on the other hand, focuses on sustainable energy production that will include a mix of solar, wind and hydrogen energy with efforts towards a green economy. This is a strategic decision so that the EU maintains its energy autonomy without being dependent on imports or with exclusive contracts with third countries and sustain its industrial activities. I discussed the hydrogen initiative in the EU led by Hydrogen Europe with Yorgo Hadzimarkakis, who coordinates hydrogen stakeholders. That was the episode, The Future and Leadership of the Hydrogen Economy in Europe. Jorgo mentioned that the EU is committed to spend money on the systemic change in order to reach the climate agreement targets and at the same time to create jobs by becoming more competitive, especially by combining climate and digital technologies. I haven't stopped wondering how easy it is to blame governments and industries and without taking any responsibility as consumers of products and services uh, for the current situation. And I'm not saying that we should only focus on ourselves and not pushing um, governments and industries towards a sustainable future, but how much fuel do we spend on our cars or do we always need to drive a car for a manageable distance walk How many synthetic items do we have at home that we dispose of without recycling? Or how often do we search for cheap flights to long-haul destinations without considering the fuel spent, but primarily the ticket fee? And then how much out of this ticket fee is paid for fuel? Or how much is paid towards aircraft crew members' salaries? On the other hand, scientists and public communicators find difficulties informing society on new renewables projects in their areas based on the locals' perception. Dr. Poppy Konidari spoke on this matter in the episode Energy Policy and Roadmaps, as well as Maria Andriellu in the episode Bioeconomy and its implementation in the Greek Energy Roadmap. On that note, I also asked Dr. Adamidis in the episode Populism Inhibiting Progress what the roots of populism were and how we could spot populistic ideas in social media as they have an enormous influence on our lives. As Dr. Adamidis pointed out, and I'm going to quote him here, with the increasing influence of the social media, political communication has irreversibly changed. Social media offers a mediated communication between the communicator of a message and numerous recipients, potentially on a one-to-one basis, and at the same time collectively. 
Simultaneously, the individual reader of a post feels part of a group of people forming the audience and feels that they can have a direct relationship with the center. This unmediated communication is utilized by populists who claim to be one with the common people and have this direct relationship with their audience. In communicating a message and increasing its influence, false accounts and bots can be hired in order to reproduce, corroborate, and spread the message until this gains the critical mass, I would call it momentum, and I continue quoting Dr. Adamidis, to appear as endorsed by many and therefore accepted by the well-disposed recipient as possibly true to become mainstream or to at least influence the agenda. If you want to listen more to this interesting discussion with Dr. Adamidis, you can find the second part of the interview on Populism Inhibiting Progress on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and Google Podcasts. Professor Kodopodis, who is the Chair in Global Childhood and Youth Studies and Director of the Inclusion, Childhood, and Youth Research Center at the University of Leeds, in the episode Youth's Future Inclusion and Resilience, was asked, how could youth participate in political life, promote democracy, and avoid populism given the priorities and differences in the perception of youth's main concerns across the continents, countries, and even the marginalization among a country's society? Professor Kodopodis mentioned the importance of teachers and evolved researchers to explain to children and young people that intercultural communication does not take place on neutral grounds, but within a global history of conquests, slave trades, migration, exploitation of natural resources, and genocides. Have you ever wondered what makes us oppose progress? Isn't it progress to move towards a sustainable future? Why do some people denounce new technologies? Do they realize these are the means of renewable energy we have right now, and we cannot wait for something more unique to replace them? Do most people realize that it takes something between 10 to 20 years for a new technology to reach the market from the lab and be deployed at large. Some people think that scientists use magic wands and that the truth is hidden from them. On the other hand, scientists offer solutions and it might be up to the industries to pick up novel ideas from the labs and bring them to society. Still, testing and upscaling is a laborious process as justified by today's processes and technologies which are between 50 and 100 years old. As an example, let's be reminded that in the 1930s, Alan Turing conceptualized modern computing and theorized about artificial intelligence, uh, which are the foundations of the contemporary theory of computation and computability. When were computers available at mass? When have you started to listen to artificial intelligence applications in medicine, for example? Just recently, still the theory was conceptualized and established in the 1930s. When I started the podcast, I thought of speaking to global Greeks who are experts in science, engineering, and technology, 
and professionals whose specialization area significantly affects science, engineering, and technology. Listening to the guests' personal stories and their perspectives showed me, and hopefully to you, what made them successful and who the people are behind their achievements. How does one's personality define even the science produced? I realized these people always had a dream, an inspiration that did not leave them, and they held on to it through persistence and hard work. What amazed me the most was their level of precise language and composed speech as a form of professionalism they developed throughout the years. Is it effortless to sum up your view on a specific question and topic in a few minutes? Along the way, my guests, I assume, I never asked them, had to develop either hard skills through studies and soft ones networking, negotiations, choosing their collaborators and team, even leading. As I said before, I make my previous assumption based on their works and evolution. I realize that scientists and engineers in different areas of study are more than what people see. For example, we tend to associate leadership more with politics and management. Of course, an engineer or a scientist could become a politician or a manager. For the last one, a scientist or an engineer is asked to manage in different forms of their jobs. Leadership is more than ruling. Leadership is more than followers. Leadership is to direct your life where you want it to be. Choose the right people to work with you, allow them to grow and to grow with them. Selecting a team does not require being assigned to or given the title of a leader. A team can exist between equals who share common values and aspirations and raise one another. So you can form a group of like-minded individuals who could complement one another, share your network. Even creating a team requires some networking and early negotiations. Again, We think that negotiations are for politicians or lawyers only. As scientists and engineers, we can rationalize and present facts and findings in a structured way to prepare in advance for a design strategy when negotiating. Now, the steps of the strategy could be to begin with what we see as a desired outcome, the possible outcome and the best exit outcome. And then we could evolve with practice. As an engineer and researcher, I would like to know how to negotiate better. Would this be of your interest too? Networking, on the other hand, used to be, especially when I was a student, not so much during my academic career, meeting new people at conferences. Even before the pandemic, electronic means of communication could initiate networking like we see on Twitter, It's not just about the followers you gain, but you create this open dialogue space where you can find like-minded people with whom you share some adjacent areas of interest. And then this could be your possible collaborators. So do you see any other digital media other than Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn that could be used to increase your network and to create, for example, a team? 
topics like leadership, negotiations, and networking are more important than ever to engineers and scientists who start their careers, even in research. And those engineers and scientists who choose to swift the direction of their careers towards an area that always inspired them and dreamt of. I have spoken with experts on hydropower and the food energy water nexus. Water is an abandoned source on the planet, still very little of it could be used in the promising bladeless hydropower. And of course, the same resources should be used for food growth. Professor Benitez, in the episode The Future of Hydropower, discussed this promising bladeless hydropower technology. Professor Benitez also pointed out the necessity and the little attention given to the blue economy compared to the green economy. We even need water for the green production of hydrogen to power our economies, right? Shouldn't we, as engineers and scientists, independently of the career we chose, and as citizens, be aware of the water security and water conflicts? Of course, I cannot hide my excitement for the episode with Professor Yapis and the bonus episode he so kindly accepted to record. My enthusiasm is rooted in my love for space exploration. I know one might say, but you've been doing all this hydrogen research. Well, my idea was that space exploration and hydrogen are linked somehow. This is what I thought as a child. What astonished me was that a chemical engineer like Professor Yapis, explained the formation of water under unfavorable conditions through advancing well-known chemical engineering theories and moving towards describing the formation of blocks of life in space that could also explain life on Earth. Again, if you missed any of these episodes, you could find Professor Yapis' Beyond Catalysis and Into Space Exploration on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anger FM, and Google Podcasts. The thoughts I shared with you wrap up my vision for engineers and scientists today and those of the future. Maybe this podcast started focusing on the global Greek influence in various fields of our lives. Still, the podcast never aimed to showcase biographies of its scientific, engineering, political, entrepreneurship, psychology, law, literature, activism guests. The purposes of the podcast are instead the contribution to various current and future topics, personalities that affect the influences we have, how we translate such influences in our professional and personal life, what matters to us today, how these contributions could better inform us for our future based on indications and outcomes that happen now and could lead to the future world. Don't forget, we resume the weekly episodes on September 12th. Subscribe, like and review the Global Greek Influence podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM and four more podcasting platforms. You can contact the Global Greek Influence through the podcast Facebook and Twitter accounts and the podcast website globalgreekinfluence.com. Mm-hmm.